to Random Badassery, the podcast dedicated to creativity and anything creative, including business or any other wild thing you might have in your mind. We're here to support you because we're that crazy. My name is Chad Hall, and with me as always on this wild, wild ride so far is Lam Wen. Good morning, everybody. And I am a little bit... Uh, Actually, there's a little uh, joke. I just went on a five-day trip for my friend's wedding, and we, I went to Washington, where from California there's no jet lag, but we were laughing about how you know, you're know you tired from travel, so we just started calling it jet lag anyways. So we'll just say I'm suffering from imaginary jet lag today. Yeah, there is something to be said for, for getting run down through travel, though. I remember uh, in my previous job, I used to travel quite a bit, and, and just being on planes for any length of time and, and not being in your natural environment like you don't sleep as well um you, your patterns are all off um and so even if you're traveling within the same time zone which i did quite a bit for my job um it still makes you feel a little run down yeah i had the, the strange sensation when i returned home of saying oh i missed you bed and it's a strange thing to miss your bed but you know you get used to the a certain level of i won't, I won't say comfort but it's just a certain level of sleep you know, this is the way that I'm I'm used to sleeping. This is a position I'm used to being able to sleep in. And when you're on a different bed, sometimes you can't do those things. And small little things like that, as you get to your 40s or late 30s, like like I, like I am in right now, they make a difference on your life because uh, not being able to put my neck in the right position, yeah, doesn't work so well for me. Yeah, I mean, fine. honestly, I think the for for me the bed thing isn't as critical as the pillow thing. Like I gotta have my pillows, man. I, I mm. there's a certain head height that I really like because um, I sleep on my side. So like if it's too low, then it kind of hurts my neck when I wake up. If it's too high, then it feels funky when I, I try to sleep. Um, so for me, the pillows are critical. I can sleep on any on almost any surface, but I better have a good pillow. You're definitely right about that because, you know, even with the pillows I have at home. Yes, guys, you tuned into a creativity podcast where we're going to talk about pillows for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the random in the title if you haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, you know we, we say that kind of stuff, but it all applies. I mean, if you don't get enough sleep or enough rest, then then you're, you're, you're not going to be in a very good spot to create, actually. Oh, that's true. You know, for five days, I got very little sleep. Because um, actually, you're probably right. It was probably because of um, neck height and um, pillow height. But because of that and, well, also being busy running around with the groom-to-be for five days doing whatever needs to be done before a wedding, I did zero creative work for five days, and it's a little strange. Um, I can't wait after this. I mean, this counts as creative work as well, but I can't wait after this to work on my novel because it's been neglected for almost a week. So that's another strange experience. Do you find that being away from it? Do you find that being away from it for that long kind of recharges um, your perspective on it? Sometimes, sometimes it just screws you up. Um, and hopefully, you know, I talk a lot about momentum when it comes to writing. And sometimes, if you break that momentum at the wrong time, it's hard to get back into the swing. So it depends, you know. If you're if you're if you're starting to be exhausted by it, yeah, a break would be good. But 
sometimes you just uh, want that momentum rolling. I'm luckily I'm in the middle between the two. I wasn't necessarily exhausted, but I wasn't also on a hard roll. Um, so it should just be like going back into a routine, you know, like getting back to getting up at a certain time or your exercise routine or whatever routines you have when you return from a trip. So sure. I'm looking, I'm just looking forward to that normalcy, even though I, I enjoyed that. I think everybody understands that, you know, like you go, you have fun when you go to something, um, whether it's a vacation or visiting a friend or a wedding like I did, but we also really return that, uh, enjoy that return to the normal, to the routine after a certain period of time. You know, what's interesting about your trip though, is that, um, I think, I think this is, is something that we talked about early on in the podcast and we, we kind of mentioned from time to time, but I actually liked the, the pictures that you took, uh, from your trip. Um, and we were talking about it a little bit last night. Like I, I, I'm, I'm shocked that all of those came off of your iPhone. And I, I really do want to remind people that, you know, use the tools you've got in hand. Cause I mean, if you look at Chad's Instagram over the last couple of days, some of those pictures have been pretty awesome. Yeah. I found that, you know, we've talked about, like you said before, there's some pretty great apps for editing. I don't spend a lot of time editing um, photos. I usually spend about two or three minutes just because I kind of have an idea of what I want things to look like when I take the photo. And I think that you you can attest to that as well is 80% of a good photo, at least, is the mindset that you have going into the photo, is your composition, um, knowing what your overall effect is going to be, what you want. Uh, you shouldn't be surprised when you sit down to edit with what you have. Every once in a while, you will be, which is awesome. But for the most part, yeah, you can you can do whatever you want with the iPhone because number one, it's a great camera for something in your pocket, and as long as you know, you're like, hey, uh, this is cool. I took a picture of you know my feet, uh, the groom's feet, and then one of the other uh, groomsmen's feet. Because we were all wearing Converse, black Converse for the wedding, and I knew what that was going to look like, so I, I already I shot it in square because I know I wanted it to end up in square, and then just made sure our feet were in the right place. And then when I changed it to black and white, it looked awesome. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. You know, you've you've said this many times on this podcast before. Uh, it's it's not necessarily the tools that matter. It's you know it's, it's what you what you do with the tools. And I remember, and I remember at some point being such a purist about that too. I used to think like you know, iPhone photography wasn't really photography and stuff like that. But that's such a load of crap. Um, I I want to go back to like myself from four or five years ago and kind of just slap myself in the head and say, hey, if if someone can find a tool in their pocket to be able to create cool images, then all power to him, you know, and, and I think that that was a liberating thought for me too, because it, it, it then, you know, made freed up my own expectations of my images and allowed me to do a lot more cool stuff with my phone as well. Yeah. That purism is a fear of the future, essentially. Right. You know, afraid people, I wouldn't say necessarily in your case, but a lot of people don't like the idea of iPhone photography because, oh, well, then everybody will do it, and that will make me less special. Yeah, sure. You know, they might not consciously be thinking that, but I think down, down deep that's what the thought process is. And it's it's similar to with writing, you know, with language. Where At what point do you start using slang? At what point do you, you know, do you accept that this is now a contraction? At what point do you, does the word selfie uh, become acceptable as a word? You know, there's a lot of word purists out there, but... It, 
language is liquid. It's always rolling forward over some kind of hill. It's always going to change. And we're not all speaking the Queen's English. None of us are speaking the Queen's English. Not even the Queen. I feel like my reaction to that is pretty strong, too, when it comes to the word purist thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I, you know, we're both readers and we're both writers. Um, So for me, it's not about words getting added into the the American lexicon that, that bothers me. Um, the biggest thing that, that I'm afraid of these days is that the American vocabulary is steadily declining on average um, in the sense that uh, most Americans know fewer and fewer words, and that's that's the part that really bothers me. I mean, the word selfie being a word isn't isn't even close to annoying to me, but the fact that the, the English... Um, I mean, I'm sorry, the American vocabulary has dropped by a thousand words in the last, you know, six or seven years is kind of depressing. Well, if it makes you feel better, it, everybody has always felt that way. You know, when they when they first started mass producing books, there was fear that everyone would become stupid because they would learn the they would no longer have the ability to communicate. <laughs> and when television came around, there was that, you know, the fear that it would destroy books. There's always a fear that it's going to go away. But as long as people are talking to each other, there will always be a vocabulary. And there will always be some way to understand. Maybe it will be through video. Mm-hmm. Maybe it will be through something else. You know, maybe vocabulary will become unnecessary because we'll be able to show each other exactly what we think. Or we'll be able to telegraph our thoughts to each other. Who knows? Sure. Don't be afraid of the future, guys. Mm-hmm. Because it's coming whether you like it or not. <laughs> and you can either get left behind by it or you can roll with it. Exactly. And, and obviously you don't want to push yourself too much. You know, if you go too slangy with your riding or stuff, you're going to sound ridiculous. You want to be understood. You know, there's always, just like with the what I said about that, I'm in the middle ground on the project right now. The middle ground is usually the best place to be. You know, be, be willing to jump forward but also have that knowledge of where you are. You know, I, I think I think one of the things I've always held firm to when it comes to this is is the the need to understand the tools and to know the rules before you can break them. Um, and I I'm, I still hold true to that. I mean, I don't think that anyone who just picks up a camera can can master photography in ten seconds by you know taking a cool shot with their iPhone. Um, you know, a lot of people take great shots by accident, and I think that learning the tools and understanding the principles that 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 govern those tools um, allows you the option or, or the ability to control those images. I mean, you know, the, the example I always come back to when it comes to this is Cormac McCarthy. Um, he's a fantastic writer, um, and The Road is probably one of the most difficult uh, books to read grammatically of anything, of, of all the books he's ever written, and it's by far the one I like the most. And it doesn't, it isn't because he doesn't have a, a firm grasp of the English language or the ability to write, but he made a creative choice because it was the right choice for the project he was working on. You know, you often talk about Pablo Picasso, um, and a lot of people don't realize that he was a phenomenal artist um, prior to his abstract work, and, mo- and a lot of his stuff is photorealistic. And it's because he understood the tools and techniques well enough to, to use what he needed from them and express himself in the way that he felt most fit for his style of artwork. Right. Yeah. If you look back there, there's like, uh, some of his pencil sketches and, and like the, I think it's the Minotaur. Oh, amazing. Yeah. You can see a lot of that art training in there, but at the same time, you know what I also noticed when you go back and look at his classical stuff compared to what he did abstractly, it's really boring. Sure. <laughs> so he made, he, he's, he did, he did the rules. He learned the rules, like you said, but then he was 
um, smart enough to realize where he needed to deviate. Yeah. And it, that's why we know his name. Uh, that's, 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 that's more than anything. That's what is important about style. You know, people, I've noticed a lot of people focusing on this idea of style. Oh, I love my art, but I don't feel like I have a style. You find a style. You just sometimes maybe you're still in the learning phase. Who knows? Don't worry about it. If you're worrying about stuff like that, then you're obviously not worrying about the right things because what you should be worrying about is the, what you're working on, not about the style. Sure. Uh, photography, for example, you know, like photography is like, I would say that uh, more than anything, photography is hard for people to fight a, find a quote unquote style because um, styles in photography, for the most part, are more subtle. You know, like if I draw abstract or I draw photorealist, that's very different. But with photography, your choices are very, very subtle. But when people land on a style, you notice it. But you might not be able to point out exactly what the style is right away. And I don't think that there's as as a conscious as conscious of a focus in photography on, oh, I have I have my style as there is in painting. And I think that's because photography realizes that there's a, a, it's dictated by the images you're taking. You know, if you're taking landscapes, you're going to stumble on a different style than if you're taking portraits. It's just the subject matter dictates that. And it should be that's the same with everything, I think. Sure. Well, we have a bunch of stuff on the agenda today, which is nice because we've probably told you guys for a couple episodes, except for the Meryl Streep one, um, which, by the way, I love that episode. If you didn't listen to that, you're missing out because wonderful woman, a lot of lot of lessons there. But we've before that we had I think it was three episodes in a row that we had to go into with no prep. So it's it's nice to come into an episode with probably far too much prep. <laughs> it's almost like we've been saved. It's we've been saving it for like three weeks. Yeah, basically. One of the things we have a couple questions from you guys. We're going to deal with those today. And then uh, one of them has been floating around for a long time. Sorry, Allison. But uh, things have been a little wonky on this end. Lamb, uh, I'm actually curious, and I, I talked to you about this right before we started, so I know you have an idea that I was going to ask you about this. But we had, well, I think it was like two months ago, you had said that you were going to do those two uh, challenges for yourself, the no uh, well, why don't you explain the challenges yourself? <laughs> well, the first challenge was um, using only a, a, a paper notebook um, to track my notes um, for a full month, you know, so for a full 30 days from the, from the day of that episode. Um, results on that were really interesting. Um, I definitely found spots in which, um, the, I'll put it to you this way, the effect that it actually had on me was very different than the effect that I thought it would have on me. Um, I thought that having the tactile feel of the notebook uh, would make my tasks more present. Um, but this goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of this episode, too, as well as I think I've embraced technology to the point where that feels almost foreign to me now. So for the first week, I'd say it was odd. It was it, it was very uncomfortable to carry the notebook around. Um and to, to constantly scrawl notes in it, you know, like mid-conversation with someone, I'd have to pull out the notebook and write something down or, or um, you know, and, and I, I can't even tell you the number of times I got asked the question, why don't you just put it in your phone, dude? <laughs> um, and I can't, I, I mean, and this is from, from people who know me, um, you know, friends who know that I'm a writer and stuff like that. So I'd have to explain the challenge to them every time. Um, and it's, it's, 
weird how quickly one gets used to to using a certain thing. Like, I mean, I I didn't understand how thorough my reliance on technology was until I started to use the notebook more. Um, <clears throat> here's the here's the weird added effect that I thought was really interesting. After about five or six days, I just pulled my phone out less and less, um, and I, I discovered at some point about two and a half weeks in that I would go three or four hours at a time without even touching my phone. Um, and that's that's a, a very big difference. It made me more present, made me more aware of the world that I lived in. And it's not to say that I didn't still use my phone for any manner of things. Like, I, I, I'm constantly on my phone for, for various work stuff and, you know, the creative stuff that I do. But um, I was much smarter about carving out pieces of time for things. So I'd say, okay, four o'clock, I'm going to read emails or, you know, two 30, I'm going to take stock on my day and journal some stuff. Um, at one 30, I'm going to, um, look at my task list and see what else I have to do. And it made it so that I was much more specific about my time. And that was, that was an interesting benefit. Um, so the two things that I gained from that, number one, um, leaving my phone in my pocket for extended periods of time. That is liberating, by the way. Um, so even for anybody out there who isn't going to go and get a paper journal and start writing in it and keeping track of tasks and stuff like that, just try the experiment of leaving your phone in your pocket for three or four hours at a time and see what happens. Um, you, you'll find that the world looks very different from you or very different to you if you're not staring at it through a little screen. Um, and the second thing is definitely learning how to prioritize your time a lot better. Um, and it wasn't even that I even intentionally did that. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't intentionally go into the, the process thinking that I was going to, uh, reprioritize my days. It just ended up working out that way because I had a separate medium for something and I didn't constantly check on it. I disciplined myself to pick specific times to look at certain things. And so those are the two interesting added benefits. Um, the second challenge was the, 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 the happy 31, which was, um, 30 minutes before. Let me interrupt. Oh yeah, go ahead. Let me interrupt you for one second. Sure. I want to, I want to talk about that one before you move on to the next one. Okay. Um, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Like you remember when I was carrying around those little pocket notebooks Yeah. and actually listening to you right now, I miss it. Um, <laughs> because I realized the one thing, well, I, I don't miss it for doing the tasks and the stuff like that because I didn't really do tasks in it ever because it just never worked for me that way. But what I do miss is that presence that you're talking about. When I had the pocket notebook, what I would notice is, uh, for example, if I'm waiting for my food, instead of pulling my phone out and popping into Instagram or whatever I ended up doing or whatever I end up doing now, I would pull that notebook out and I find a random object and I just kind of start sketching. And even when you're sketching with, you know, if somebody's sitting at the table, that's a different, that's, that's a very different, um, interaction in the sense that, you know, when I pull my phone out with somebody sitting across the table from me, that sends either the signal of, I'm, I can't talk to you right this second because I'm in my phone or it sends a signal to them. This is a good time for you to pull your phone out. So you're kind of spreading that, um, that addiction to the phone in a way. But when you pull a sketchbook out, it actually invites the person into the experience with you mm. because, you know, they're going to look at the sketch, but you can talk while you're sketching in a way that you can't talk when you're screwing around on your phone. So you can sit and sketch that plant next to you and you're still talking to the person that you're with and maybe you're talking about that plant. All of a sudden this plant becomes part of 
the conversation, but it's also part of your being present. Um, it's a it's a it's a hard thing to explain. I'm I'm not sure I'm doing uh, it justice, but in the way that things that you normally would have completely blacked out. You know, when we have our phones, we we step into like um, perhaps a be- a good way to say it is tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. All of the peripherals of life become this white haze. Uh, we're, because we're not paying attention to those things. You know, we're, we're, it's not that we're not paying attention to what's in front of us other than the phone. You know, if somebody's there, we know a person's there. If a car's there, obviously we know that a car's there. But we're missing all the peripherals. We're missing what – look at that chair next to us as a broken foot. Um, look at that person over there. Uh, or example, for example, when I was on my plane uh, yesterday, I didn't have my headphones in at first, and there was a little girl behind me. Uh, on the window seat and I just heard like this little voice and then there's an old man sitting next to her and I guess this this kind of blows me away but I don't want to digress too much into this but it was a six-year-old or a six and a half year old traveling by herself whoa I have no idea no idea why you would ever send a (laughs) six-year-old on a plane by herself whoever those people are that are her parents you guys are insane um and that's all I have to say about that but anyways this she was this poor little girl is scared. We're about to take off, and this old man next to her doesn't know her at all, and ended up kind of babysitting this girl for basically the the two and a half or two hour length of our flight. <clears throat> but I didn't have my headphones in, so the peripheral of life was hearing this. I you know nobody told me this what was going on. I heard this little girl telling her story to this man, and it was fascinating because these are things that you would miss out on. And from the perspective of a human being, and that's, you know, I got to experience this man being an amazing human being, taking care of a child that he has zero responsibility for. As a writer, I could have probably picked up like three or four ideas right there for stories. You know, he talked about how when we were taking off and the flight was jumpy. Um, he talked about how planes are very safe. You know, the thing we always tell each other that it's you, you're in more danger on the freeway than you are in a plane because car accidents are more common. But then he kind of went a little bit further. He's like, I used to jump out of airplanes when I was a younger man huh. and started kind of telling her about how, you know, he said two times I landed in sand and one time I landed on, uh, I don't remember what, what he, I think it was just dirt. But like these little things. These are things that you you miss out on when we're in our phone too much. Um, I'm not I'm not anti technology because dude, we're going to talk about apps in this episode, and we're going to talk about technology in this episode. We always talk about this stuff. But you're absolutely right that just that little difference of doing something in a notebook or having a notebook with you to do certain things. You know, just write down ideas and maybe you dump those into your phone at the end of the night instead of throwing them in your phone all throughout the day. It can change your experience of life. It really can. Uh, so I'm going to echo what Lamb said and try just keeping your phone in your pocket just a little bit longer than you normally would. And as a, and as a creative person, it's it's hard to to really gauge the effectiveness or the 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 um, the extra experiences that those give you that allow you more perspective than you would have had otherwise. Like you know that that perspective of that man babysitting a string a, a stranger's child basically. Um, might lend a perspective to you that you would have never, ever gained any other way. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so from that perspective, exactly. it's, it's really it's really great. I mean, being present is so great. Um, 
And I mean, I, I, I still, of course, fall into the trap of it. Like when I'm at work and I've, I've got tunnel vision and I'm cranking towards, you know, a particular task or goal or something, I, I lose sight of, of what I'm doing or how I'm doing it. But um, like, like everybody does, but I've definitely made a much more concerted effort to be much more present in the moment. Like, you know, to notice the things that my friends do, um, to notice how couples interact with each other, to notice how people treat their dogs. Um, I, that's a weird one. Um, I went to a dog park and I, you know, left my phone in my car even. Um, and I just watched how, how people, um, interacted with their dogs and, that spawned just a whole a whole train of, of thought for me about you know how interesting it was that that this animal that was once akin to a wolf has been domesticated so quickly by by humans and how close our relationship is with our pets um, and and how 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 much joy pets can bring to our lives. I mean, I'm babysitting or I'm dog sitting a, a, a huge dog with crystal right now. And it actually made me more present with the dog. And I know that sounds strange, but you know, dogs live in a very different world than we do. You know, they notice body language. Um, they notice intonation and, 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 and actions and movements in ways that we don't. And to try to put yourself in the mind of a dog to recognize those things, not just in, in, in people, but in dogs, is pretty fascinating. And there's also this, um, idea we have, too, where we, when we have our phones, we're, because of social media, and I think to some degree some of this has faded. I will, I will say that, that social media's luster to some degree has faded for a lot of people. Uh, but at the same time, when we have our phones, and I'm guilty of this as well, we're, it's like we're carrying around a megaphone or a microscope maybe, you know. If we're so concerned with finding things with which we can share that we maybe aren't even noticing the things <laughs> that we're finding to share. Sure. You know, like for example, you said with the dogs, if, if you had your phone with you, your first inclination would probably be to, this dog is awesome. I need to take a photo of it and share this with people. Oh, I know I would have. That's not even a doubt in my mind. So now, <laughs> now you're, you're, you're no longer in the process of petting and enjoying this dog as a person. I mean, as a person, I guess is a way to say it. But, <laughs> but I mean, that, that is – that was an accident. But it's a Freudian slip there because I, I think that is the difference. When, you're, when you start taking the photo, uh, you're worried about taking that photo. This dog is an object. But when you're spending time with this animal, it becomes a person. You know, that's where you, you find the personality of an animal is in the time that you spend with it, not in the photos you take of it. Sure. There was I, as, as is common for me to say on this podcast, I was listening to, watching, or reading something the other day, and I can't remember what it was. Uh, but I will, do my, I will do my darndest to find it to share with you guys. I was listening to a podcast, and someone was talking about the experience of, and this actually, this is funny because this is still something in the phone, but the experience of transitioning their little thoughts from things being shared on Twitter to things that they put into their uh, day one app. So instead of all the little things and the little photos and sharing and projecting those to the world, this person was taking all of that energy and putting it into the day one journaling app. So instead of sharing it, he was just saving those things for himself. And I think even that little little bit of a change, a little bit of a shift is a completely different mindset. I've noticed myself doing that more. Sure. I don't really tweet very much anymore for those of you, unfortunately, who followed me on Twitter. <laughs> it's, it's, 
it, it, it becomes a point where, you know, like, like you said, leaving your phone behind, leaving your phone in the car, that seems like this horrible idea, right? Everybody's like, what? He did what? But it's because sometimes we have to break those things. We have to break those little little addictions, those little patterns to be in our lives. You can't be a creative person if you're not present in your life because then you have you have no human experience to share. It, and the, it's it's funny. It, it, it even makes the – I remember when I went to the dog beach um, and I left my phone. I, I, I even enjoyed a tuna sandwich better. <laughs> I know that that sounds strange, but, you know, I didn't have the impulse to – because I got the sandwich from this tiny little shack on the side of this um, – on the side of this beach and it was it was famous apparently it's it's i didn't know at the time that it was this huge thing um but apparently this place is pretty famous and they they make some pretty pretty great stuff and the sandwich i got back was beautiful um you know it had sriracha in it had coleslaw i mean all these cool things like something you wouldn't expect from a tuna sandwich and my first immediate thought was i need to take a picture of this until i realized oh wait i can't take a picture of this and so i I started to you know kind of go through the sandwich with my hands and fingers and just to look at all of the 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 ingredients that that made the sandwich such a piece of amazing artwork and and i feel like in that moment i i enjoyed the sandwich better because of that i i don't think that's silly at all because i think it when it comes down to it it's just basic basically the way our brains work right when we're thinking about the thing, the next thing to take a photo of, the next thing to, to collect, the way to, that we're going to Instagram that, the way we're going to do this, uh, what we're doing is we're using our working memory, right? So we're, we're, we're building up this cue in our working memory. And for those who are unfamiliar what working memory is, memory, working memory is whatever your brain is doing in, in the moment or will be doing very soon. It's not pulling stuff from back storage. You know, it's not pulling memories. So it's, it's like the RAM on your computer, essentially. Mm. So you're using your working memory. And when you're using your working memory, it's, it's filling that up. Like I said, with the cue, but your working memory is also what you use to experience things. It's what you use to taste. It's what you use to smell. It's what you, I mean, those things are happening, but it's how you process those things. So if you are filling your, I feel like there's a magic in having them all happen at the same time too. Sorry about that. Go ahead. No, it's okay. We're all, I think we're too polite on this show. We should interrupt each other more. <laughs> I, I, when you have all of those things, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Your brain doesn't have the processing power to taste that sandwich 100% anymore. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the processing power to hear that peripheral sound. Uh, you know, like they say, dogs have so much better um, smell than than people do. But if you walked around and you actually breathe through your nose and – paid attention to the smells that are coming into your nose, you'll realize that a lot of that is because we don't pay attention to our sense of smell at all. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the actual abilities of our nose. You know, there is, there's a, a certain top tier part of that. That's definitely a difference in anatomy where the, you know, the dogs have more smell, but uh, smell buds, whatever you want <laughs> to call them. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I don't actually, I, I'm like, I don't actually know what the word for that is, but they, they have more, um, anatomy uh for smelling or better anatomy for spelling smelling my boards are all over the place well, i like smell buds but that's, that's a good one we're keeping that smell but then we'll call this episode smell buds no, i'm I just was kidding just gonna say that <laughs> um 
but the, 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 a lot of that is dogs aren't paying attention to anything else except for what's coming into their nose. So they notice that whiff of something coming around the corner that maybe we have the anatomy to sense as well, but we're busy. A lot of times we're just busy paying attention to our sight. Mm. Um, it has nothing even to do with phones. You know, for humans, sight is probably our number one. That's why I think when uh, – now this is just me guessing. I'm obviously not an expert on this, but I think that's why uh, when people lose their vision – they become like super uh, smellers and their sense of hearing is like radar. It's because those things were always there, but because we were paying attention to our sight, those things kind of moved on to the back burner in our consciousness. Mm -hmm. So going on a long tangent, basically, yes, absolutely. I think that tasting can increase as you, as you decrease that working memory. And actually, there's a – we've talked about this podcast before, I think very recently, Song Exploder. There's an episode that I just listened to recently with Stephen Merritt from The Magnetic Fields. Mm. And it's it's worth listening to. Number one, it, it totally fits into the whole creativity thing here. Any episode of Song Exploder does. But he talks about how he writes songs. And one of the things he talks about is he goes into busy bars that play loud disco music, and that's where he writes his songs. And I, I don't remember what his reasoning for that was, but he talks about this idea of all he does is write down the words. So there's all this music playing around him that's just flooding him, and all he's doing is writing writing the words. And he only has a few cocktails because then he kind of loses the, the, the ability to write out, obviously. He says, but then the next day he goes back and he says, for the, for the most part, he remembers the melodies because he's writing melodies of these things, but he's in no way making notations mm. of these melodies. And he said something that I thought was very interesting and I think applies specifically to what we're talking about here is this idea of we're always trying to capture everything, but maybe we don't need to capture everything. Maybe we just need to digest things and let the good things surface. So for him, he says, if I sit down and I have the music and I forgot the melody, he's like, then it wasn't a good melody. Because if he can't remember it, then the people who listen to the song won't remember it either. Sure. So and I think that that idea of taking notes and stuff like that and sharing things is also part of that, too, where, you know, maybe specifically this maybe applies more to Twitter or things like that. Maybe that, that thought, that little quirky thing that you were going to share in that second Maybe it's not that good. Maybe you should sit on it for a couple hours. And if you remember then in a couple hours, then maybe then it's worth it. You know, there's just these little differences of thought. I think that's what your challenge to me really introduced the idea of, of, of reimagining the way that we experience everything. Yeah, completely. And I think that's one of the things that, like I said, I mean, it, it, I didn't intend that to be the 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 effect. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the nice thing about doing experiments like that is you, you – often get benefits you don't anticipate. And one of the things that it definitely made me very clearly aware of is how not present I was in most of my life. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, so I guess if I'm, if I'm going to take anything useful out of that, um, and give anything useful to, to the, the listeners of our podcast, I will say this, I mean, try to challenge yourself to do that. Um, you know, look at your phone, have, have a dead zone. In, in your phone time. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong, like answer whatever critical text messages or, or phone calls from people that you have to, but beyond that, 
try to leave your phone in your pocket for hours at a time and see what happens. You know, on, on the rare occasion, be in a situation where you don't need your phone at all. You know, like I, I, I forget because we've lived in a world where phones have been ubiquitous for so long. But, you know, for most of my, my, my childhood and my teen years, like we didn't have cell phones in our pockets. So, you know, uh, we rode our bikes around, we went to the beach, we went, we did all kinds of stuff and we didn't have this little device that kept us tethered to the world. So there's, there's something to be said for untethering yourself. I mean, and a lot of people talk about this and even we've talked about this, but, and, and it's not to say that I'm, I'm afraid of technology or I, I think phones are a bad thing. Uh, on the contrary, I think they're fantastic tools and I think they're, they're great for a lot of things. But um, I definitely do think that one thing that it stops us from doing is using the tools that we already have, you know, using our ability to, to understand and, and, and take in the world in a much more present way. So, you know, that's so let's let's issue a new challenge. Um, the new challenge is this um, for at least two pockets a day. Leave your phone in your pocket for at least three hours and see what happens. You, you mean when you say at least two pockets, you mean two spans of time? Two spans of time. So with, that's how I'm doing it. So, for example, between um, 11 and 4, you don't touch your phone. And then from 6 to 9, you don't touch your phone at all. We'll call it the keep it in the pocket challenge. Keep it in the pocket. Don't touch it. Don't look at it. Unless you have something that, that, that is urgent coming in, like a phone call from a relative, whatever it may be, then, yeah, by all means, answer your phone. But if you don't need to, don't touch it and see what happens. Just try that. Actually, just try that for a day and then extend that to a week and then extend that to two weeks and so on and so forth. Don't just go cold turkey. On that. <laughs> um, do it in such a way that it's realistic for you to maintain it over a period of time. Um, and even if you are going to continuously do it for a number of weeks, take it a day at a time so that it doesn't seem as daunting. Um, doing challenges like that where you're stepping outside of your comfort zone is all about small victories. And those small victories will make it so that the task in the long run or the challenge in the long run does not seem nearly as daunting. But yeah, um, I've been doing that lately, so I challenge all of you to do that as well. Um, keep your phones in your pockets for two separate pockets of time throughout the course of a day for you know three hours at a time. See what happens. And we will make this a mental challenge. I will not plug a hashtag for this because I don't want you pulling your phone out of your pocket to tell us that you're keeping your phone in your pocket. <laughs> that is the definition That is the definition of irony right there. But yeah, I mean, uh, e even though that's the case, please uh, please share with us your experiences um, and, and let us know the things you, you think or see or smell or taste or touch or hear because your phone's in your pocket and not in your hand. And why don't you tell us about your other challenge because I think they, the two of them kind of go hand in hand, really. This was the low-tech challenge, right? Yeah, such a different challenge, though. Um, no, it's the Happy 30 challenge. Um, the, the Oh, that's right. I'm the, sorry. Yeah, the, the first one was the low-tech. second one was the Happy 30. Um, so Happy 30, um, this was the one where I challenged uh, everyone to, you know, 30 minutes before you sleep, put your phone away, listen to music, do something. Um, do something that isn't uh, related to technology and see what happens. Um, wow, that was weird. Um, I will say that I broke it a few times because um, when you're lying there in the dark by yourself and you don't really feel like reading a book and you can't really watch something on TV, you get kind of bored. Um, so it kind of forces you to do weird stuff like listen to crickets or pay attention to um, you know, cars driving outside. Um, it even led me to taking walks at random uh, every so often at night too as well. So the one thing that I will say that is the, the hilarious benefit from that challenge that I didn't expect is how bored it made me and how 
much it forced me to actually go and do something like, you know, go downstairs and, and craft a weird sandwich or, or, you know, um, I don't know, make, make some popsicle stick sculptures. Um, it was it, play with playing cards. I, I started doing card tricks again for no reason. Um, so the one thing that it really taught me, which is another completely random benefit that I would have never, uh, thought of, um, otherwise is I, I don't realize how occupied my brain is, how many things I've given my brain to occupy itself with in order for myself to kill my own imagination. Um, you know, because if the phone's there, um, if, 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 if some task is there, then my brain's now occupied. It doesn't have, it doesn't have the need to, to be creative. It doesn't have the need to, to, to be, to be, um, interested in something. And I think that doing the, the happy 30 challenge really made it so that I had no other choice, but to find something to interest my brain. And in the long run, it made it so that I watched a, a, a documentary I would have never seen. Um, I noticed two construction projects by my house that are fascinating that I'm going to go by and shoot with a camera. I mean, it, it, I wrote song lyrics, <laughs> um, and it made me do all kinds of, of really cool stuff that I would never have thought otherwise. So, um, the, the, for all of you out there, the, the, the takeaway is don't be afraid of being bored if that boredom leads you to opening up your imagination. Because it's not that you're really bored. You're just stopping yourself from doing the tasks that keep you occupied, um, the tasks that you've trained yourself to occupy yourself with in order to make yourself feel productive. Sometimes the most productive thing you can do is to allow your imagination to be as free as it needs to be to allow it to open up a little bit more. Yeah, Neil Gaiman has, is famously in that blog that he wrote uh, espoused the power of boredom for creativity. And I think it's absolutely true um, that I don't know if you remember this lamb. I did that uh, midnight to midnight, uh, turned my phone off completely. Oh yeah. For a whole day. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Actually it was all technology. I turned off my computer, my iPad, my phone didn't even turn on the TV for 24 hours. And you're exactly right. It changes your dynamic completely. I didn't know what to do with myself at first. (laughs) I I remember just like, what do I do? And I'm in a room. You guys can't see my room, but I have shelves of probably over 200 books, uh, some of our art books. And I'm surrounded by things to do. But because, uh, you know, we get used to this idea of something to do as being a passive activity. You know, where things are thrown at us, this program, this tweet, this image, all of these things, these videos, all this is coming at us. We're not used to the idea of having to look for something. And that changes your dynamic completely with the world. And and it's definitely doing it for 24 hours is extreme. I don't think a lot of people could do it. Um, But I'll go back to your. I think in a way this is very much related to your, in your pocket challenge because when you do either of these things, you're going to do exactly what Lamb's talking about there. You're going to have to find something to do. Yeah. And and what I discovered too when I was doing that is, oh, my God, I waste so much time playing stupid games on my phone. You know, like I in my mind I'm thinking I just pull these games out and I play for, you know, five, ten minutes. I probably pull them out and I play them for over an hour sure. because I'm – watching something i'm doing air quotes right now i'm watching something on netflix 
I'm not really watching that either. So I'm doing two things that I'm not fully present to. That's another thing too. When we multitask, we, we're not even present to the things that we're doing, whether they're in our phone or not. So what I found myself having to do is think of, oh, well, I guess I could do this. I could do this. And then all of a sudden I realized all of this time that I had that I didn't think I had. So I had this painting. You know, I've, I've probably mentioned on here before that I do self-portraits, paintings. I only do one a year. And it usually takes me a whole year to paint it because I don't paint it very often. Um, and that's not out of laziness. It's just the way that I experience the photos. I like to have it be something that occurs over time. But what I found on that day was I sat down and I'm like, I could do a little bit of writing. I wrote for about an hour and a half, maybe two hours. And then I sat and I painted for probably a good three hours. Then I read for an hour. And then I went back to writing for another hour. And I did, I did about as much creative work in that one day, which, by the way, felt relaxing. I didn't feel rushed in any way. I did as much work in that creative day as I would do in a whole week or maybe a month. Jeez. And it, that, that shows you all these. So maybe a, an important, I, I would say maybe a challenge for you guys to, if I'm going to put out a challenge, which I haven't done before, is don't go find an app to do this. Just do it in your head or do it on a piece of paper. I don't want to complicate things by having you guys spend two hours looking for the perfect app to do this because we do that. Keep track of how long you're actually doing things. When you sit down to play, I'm going to sound like an old man because I don't think anybody plays Angry Birds anymore. But when you sit down to play some game on your phone or when you sit down to read some stuff on Facebook, write down the time you sat down. And then when you finally close that app, write down the time you finished. And just pay attention to how much time you're actually eating away with everything. Anything, even I want you to even just pay attention to how long you eat dinner. And when you see, I think you're going to start seeing some things are going to blow your mind. Like, oh, wow, I spend more time reading stuff that makes me angry on Facebook than I do eating my dinner. I totally do that. (laughs) So that's that's my challenge is a track yourself challenge. Oh man, there's such a power to boredom though. I mean, there's so many, so many things you, you discover. Um, like, you know, I, I, I learned how to tie knots the other night with a shoelace by my bed because I was, I was bored and I, I, I started to, you know, try, try to figure out how to tie knots. Here's, here's a fun one. I, I've never really understood what the nuances were in different chip flavors. And so I had three different bags of chips with three different flavors, and I lined all three of them up, and I taste tested them very carefully because I was bored. <laughs> and and it's a and it's amazing how much how much detail goes into even crafting the the flavor of a chip. Like I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I I'm sure that everyone at least intuitively or subconsciously understands the difference. But try that sometime. Like you know, try to try to look at something that you take for granted. Um, on a day-to-day basis and try it again. Like, you know, for example, try a cup of coffee and sip it really carefully and try to figure out what the different flavors are that make it up. You know, is there a hint of chocolate in it? You know, is there a hint of of, of pine or or, or rosemary, whatever it may be? Um, There's there's so much little detail. There's so many tiny little things that we disregard because our our lives are are, are so occupied with things. you know, the, in, in the moment of freeing up your brain to be able to see these things with more detail, you realize how much more nuanced the world is 
Um, and it makes you, it makes you not, not necessarily appreciate things more, but it makes you appreciate the amount of time people put into something as simple as crafting a barbecue chip. You know what I mean? We as a creative community, not just this podcast, but the creative community of the world as a whole, talk a lot about the, the power of the child's mind, especially when it comes to creative thoughts. And why child's, uh, child's mind is so powerful is because doing the things that you're talking about are not ridiculous to them. <laughs> that's, that's a natural yeah. thing for them. That that seems like something that, that is worth the time, something that is valuable. And it's it's really just a matter of, of reprioritizing what is important. So maybe doing those things seems ridiculous. But not, why experiencing something would ever be thought of as ridiculous is baffling. And when you really start to think about it, you understand that we carry around these just mind-boggling beliefs about the world and we wonder why so many times we're miserable it's because we limit ourselves to only miserable experiences <laughs> yeah we've chosen that yeah sure yes we're building prisons for ourselves nobody else is doing it to us you know we complain about um social media but we all know deep down inside that social media is not the problem it's ourselves it's how we deal with those things and our own weaknesses that make us susceptible to those uh, addictions. This is all all about how we use our brains. And this, I mean, this is the, the core of creativity. You know, the, going through an experience like that, just checking out the taste of, not even checking out, to analyze the taste of chips. You, if you're a short story writer, you may have just found, I mean, think about Stand By Me. How does Stand By Me start? It starts with the pie eating contest. Yeah. And it, it's a famous, famous scene. Well, if Stephen King had never gone to a pie-eating contest and never paid attention while he was at a pie-eating contest, he couldn't have started that story. Not the way that he started it because he wouldn't have that knowledge. Now Lamb has the ability to start a story or to use that at some point in a story about tasting potato chips. <laughs> so that might seem silly, but you're you're collecting things that are useful to you as a creative person. Sure. But they're also useful to you as a living human being. And uh, we have to get rid of that idea that things are silly or childish because the best thing that we could all be is children. Because, you know, in children with children wars end when the day when the lights go off, you know, when the sun goes down, the wars end for them. Sure. I mean, it's, it, 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 you know, you've talked about this in previous episodes too, but there's, there's something to be said for, for going out and having experiences. And this is not to say, you know, you don't have to do anything crazy like, um, you know, Chad did and leaving the, the state for five days or, or, or anything elaborate. It's experiences are about experiencing everything. Um, you know, go to your local coffee shop that you've been to a million times and try to notice something that you hadn't noticed before. Start a conversation with a stranger. Pet a, pet a stranger's dog. Yeah, I might ask him first because um, I, I, that's a big pet peeve of mine is people who just <laughs> bum rush dogs. Yeah. Like that's, you know, dogs are protective of their owners for a reason. So just don't, you know, for anyone out there, like dogs are cute, but dogs are also animals. Um, so make sure that you treat them with the respect they deserve. But, you know, that's beside the point. The point is, Experiences are everywhere. Experiences are all around you. And experiences live in, in not just the, the, the new places you can go or the new things you can do, but the things that you've always done and can see differently 
uh, every time you do them now. And so, yeah, I mean, it, you know, we, we've talked about this uh, on a multitude of occasions, but I think that, you know, lately you and I have been doing that a lot more, which is the only way to really be creative or interested or interesting or aware or present is to actually just go and do stuff. You know, like when we went to, to um, hang out in Santa Cruz with, with Brandon and, the, and, and a bunch of our friends in uh, Aptos, like it, 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 having that experience with people, having the ability to, to share those moments with people and seeing how people, you know, I, I know this sounds weird and, you know, for anyone who was at um, uh, Brandon's who, who, who is going to be aware of this is going to be slightly weirded out by it, but I was watching people eat, you know, I was watching how different people consume their food and how meticulous some people are, or how, how, how for some it's just purely utility and it's not, there, there's no, um, you know, there, there, there's, there, there's no process to it. I, it's it, even in something that simple. And even in those tiny little moments that we, we take for granted on a day-to-day basis, there's interesting experiences to pull from all of them. Um, there's, there's a, there's an interesting, there's, there's, there's a narrative interest that, that goes along with each of these experiences that are always present. If we're willing to open up our, our, our eyes and ears and, and, and pay attention to what's going on. I mean, there is no, there is no creativity without experience. It's that simple. Sure. Because the purpose, the purpose of creating things is to share an experience, to share your perception of an experience. That's the whole purpose. Um, you know, that's what painting is. Why, why did, why did Van Gogh paint the way he did? Because he didn't want to show you the cornfield. He wanted to show you the cornfield, the way he was seeing it, the way he was experiencing it. And if he wasn't conscious to the fact that uh, the starry night sky in his mind was swirling, that there was a feeling of swirling in it, we wouldn't have starry night. We would just have a painting of black sky with white dots. <laughs> and there's no, there's, there's no fun in that. Uh, okay. I would like to get to these two questions before we – I honestly, I, I love the fact that we just took an hour doing that stuff. Um <laughs> But I want to make sure I want to make sure that we we nail these two questions since they've been sitting on the back burner for a long time. I am I'm going to jump to the second one because so on my website I had Matteo Massiello leave me a question and he was he's referring to when we were talking about this I did these I believe um, I realized afterwards that he may be asking me a question about fiction. And not about life. Um, so, Mateo, if you're listening and we answer your question wrong, let me know and we'll do the other way as well. But his question is, how do you know the best way to tell your story? And I believe what he's referring to is the idea that, you know, we tell these stories to ourselves. He's, he makes a reference earlier to getting over his bad self. You know, we have these stories that we tell ourselves that maybe aren't the best stories that don't really lead us to down progressive paths in our lives. So how do we know the best way to tell our story? He may be talking about the story that you're writing for fiction, but we're not going to answer that today. So, Lam, you want to start? Um, I know you had some thoughts on that when we first saw this question. Um, my thoughts on it have changed dramatically since the time I originally saw the question, and it's based on, on two pieces of incredible um, artistry that I've seen since. Um, the first one is the, the, the documentary that I recommended to you yesterday. Um, it's called Faces Places. Um, at least that's the horrible American translation of it. Um, 
it, it, it's it's horrifying. Um, it, it, the the French version the the French version of the name I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Um, but basically, Visage Village. Yeah, I, I, it, there's a cool French nuance to that that I'm not even going to attempt. Um, so yeah, it's it's an amazing amazing documentary by a fantastic Belgian uh, filmmaker um, that I highly recommend anyone. Basically, um, she enlists the help of a street perform or installation artist slash photographer um this french guy um and they travel the french countryside um in a giant van made up to look like a huge camera um that prints enormous prints um out of the side of the van um and it's amazing how people who have never really had art in their lives in any present way um experience those moments in which they see giant pictures of themselves plastered on the sides of buildings and the things that come up for them, you know, seeing the lines in their own faces, you know, seeing the, the scars that they've accumulated over their lifetimes. And I don't think I've ever seen a more sincere documentary, um, because most documentaries, I mean, if you, if you watch documentaries at, in, at any length, um, most of them, you know, have a thesis, the narrators try to stay out of the, 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 storytelling process even though their their presence is definitely very clear throughout um, because there's always typically some kind of slant to every documentary uh, this documentary doesn't feel like a documentary at all it feels like a documentary basically about itself it's a it's it's what you want a reality show to be basically um, and you see these people talk about their lives um, and the one through line whether it's a happy story or, or a melancholy story the one thing that you 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 sense throughout is that there's just a hopeless sincerity um, in that in that moment because they're caught so off guard by this massive camera um, the wonderment of it opens up their their defenses you know it takes down all of these walls that they've built over what peri whatever period of time they've built them and it makes it so that they they tell the much more honest versions of their stories um, and the second um, so for anybody, please go out there and watch that documentary. The second thing that's, that's, um, that, that defines that, that aspect of, of telling your own story to me is Cheryl Strayed. Um, you know, because of the episode that we did and because of the, the things that I've read about her and the things I've read uh, of her, um, the, the through line through all of these, um, whether it's that documentary or, or any of Cheryl Strayed's work or actually any real great work um, in that sense, um, is the honesty. Um, it's all about the sincerity and the honesty and the, the ability to take that honesty with the skills that you have as an artist um, and the confidence that you gain with age and wisdom uh, to tell that story unrelentingly and very truthfully. Um, and so that for me is the, the quintessential answer to that question. How do you tell your own story? Well, tell it honestly and let everything else fall as it may. And I think that a lot of that begins with the process of questions. Uh, we spend a lot of time projecting answers out into the world with uh, just the way that we talk to each other. We're, we're not really listening to each other. We're projecting opinions. Uh, just listen to two people talk about their cell phones. And you'll notice that the two people are slowly trying to convince the other person that their phone is the better choice and that they should have bought that cell phone, that you should have Android instead of uh, iOS. And it's just, that's I think it's a consequence of consumerism. 
uh, long exposures to consumerism leads to kind of thought process like that. It's not, it's not surprising. But questions. Try to try. I would I would suggest Matteo to in order to find the honesty and the genuine authenticity. Well, those are redundant, but we'll just put a comma between those. Uh, that Lamb is talking about is begin with questions. Um, begin with questions not only uh, for yourself but for people around you. Instead of telling people things, start asking them things. When somebody says something that you don't agree with, ask them to clarify. Ask them what they really mean. Not because you're trying to accomplish anything, but just try to understand exactly what they're saying. You don't have to spend your life defending what you believe. Uh, if you believe something, you believe it. You don't need to project that into the world. And that's this problem we all have is we feel that we need to defend our beliefs. Why can't we just carry them around? This is what I believe. And be fascinated by the differences from other people. And I think you're going to find that your story lives in those differences. The similarities are the things that um, are what we should focus on. But uh, we should also celebrate the differences as well. And the way to understand those differences is to just really understand them. To understand what you believe. Ask yourself questions. What do I think about this? Why do I think that? Where does that come from? Continually, just make it a continual stream of questions to ask yourself. Your story is not in the answer. Your story is in the questions. The story of our life is in the questions that we ask ourselves and that we ask of the world around us. It is not in the answers because the answers are guesses. The questions are the concrete things. The questions are things that don't change. They just grow. We have more of them. But the questions are always there. They always stand. What is the meaning of life? What does this person believe? How does that affect me? What should I do about hunger? What about war? These questions, those are the solid things of life. Those are the stories. And the ones that we pay attention to define who we are as human beings. But the answers that we project are just us letting our ego bleed into the world. It's, if you can learn to live outside of your own needs and your own worries, you'll find that your story is floating around everywhere. You don't need to find it. It's already there. Your story is, is the thing that you've been ignoring. It's the thing that you've been uh, shutting out. It's the thing that w the reason we pull our phones out of our pocket all the time instead of spending time in silence because our story is there and maybe we don't want to accept that there is a story there. We don't want to live in that. And, uh, that's my thoughts on it. And you know, the, the, the other side of that too, I think a lot of the reason why people are afraid of that, I know that I was. Um, and so I'm going to I don't, I don't know how many more people this applies to. I don't want to make the assumption that it applies to everyone. But some of the reason why that, that happened for me is because I was scared of, of the bad times. Um, you know, I was scared of the worst versions of me. I was scared of the perception that people had of me when I wasn't at my best. And so I think, you know, and we've talked about this on numerous occasions too as well. I think two things are very crippling here. Um, the first thing is shame. And the second thing is pride. Um, and I think they, they walk hand in hand when it comes to this. And, and you've said this a billion times too as well, which is um, most of those things are purely ego-driven. You know, most of those things are, are, are exist because 
or those two things exist because you have a perception of yourself that you've wanted to maintain or, or, or you've wanted to build over a period of time. And sometimes you falter from that. And only recently, and this is, I'm talking about in the last like maybe year of my life, have I gotten okay with the idea of having made mistakes, um, of having not been the best version of myself and of, of, of realizing that those darker moments or those difficult moments or those moments in which I, I felt a sense of, of, of shame towards things that I did or who I was are totally okay. Um, it's part of life. It's part of experiencing life with other people. And I, I, I had to come to terms with those things in order to become a better person and a better artist. Um, because without being honest about the bad parts, you can't really be honest about the good parts either. I had the pleasure on this trip of having some very deep and powerful conversations and without sharing people's deep, dark secrets or even their names. <laughs> one of the things that we talked about was guilt uh, about the past. Somebody who felt like they there's things that they should have done that they didn't. And it felt impossible to change that. And in, in the time that we spent talking, what we discovered was the problem here with shame is, as and you're right, I have said that it's ego, but there's also um, something else to it as well. When we're dealing with shame, when we're dealing with regret, we're setting ourselves up for the impossible. We're dealing with the past, things that you've done in the past. And when you're focusing on those things, those are things that will never change. They've already happened. They're literally things that are gone, that can never be fixed or changed because they've happened already. You can't go back and adjust them. You never, when we all know that, this isn't like some revelation. But when we're focusing on those things, we're setting ourselves up for an impossible challenge because we're going, in our minds, we're deciding, how can I fix the thing that is completely unfixable? How can I change the thing that is unchangeable? We don't have the past. It's gone. All we have is now and tomorrow. So you have to let that challenge go. You have to let go of the challenge of, of the past and accept that that's the way things are and figure out what you're going to do now and what you're going to do tomorrow. Because if you're carrying that shame, all you're doing is you're beating yourself over the head with yesterday. And yesterday is, is, is a petrified piece of wood. It's never going to come back to life. Ever. You need to accept that. And that's that's how we start our story is by, you know, they always say the best way to write a fictional story is to start midstream. And what I, what I mean by that and what they mean by that is a, a good story starts in the middle of the action. Things are already happening. We don't want to hear 25 minutes of backstory and hear all about the, the, the character's youth just so we can hear about his wedding day. Start me on the wedding day and then find a way to tell me about the past in little ways throughout that story if it's important, but start me in the action. That's how we have to live our lives. We're already in the action. We're in the middle of it. Our story starts now and now and now. It didn't start in the past because that story is already told. So you want to you want to know a way to tell your story is to let go of the other ones that you're carrying around and start writing one now today the second and write another one tomorrow and another one and always be moving forward 
don't hold on to that heavy brick of the past. It's just going to make it sink to the bottom of the ocean. There's no story in that. Hmm. Uh, okay, let's do the, let's do Allison's question because the poor thing has probably been waiting two months to hear an answer to this question. <laughs> and this one uh, is kind of directed more towards me, but I'm going to ask for your input at every step of this because you are, as always, I say at the beginning, my partner. So um, Allison asked me to clarify. I had mentioned earlier that every night I do a nightly inventory. So she had asked me to tell what that nightly inventory is. And it has changed a little bit, but I so I cut out some of the stuff that I was doing at that time, and I've only included the stuff that I do now. And I unfortunately have gotten out of the habit of doing this every night, especially being out of town. But I want to get back into it. Anyways, I diverge. Uh, my nightly inventory is essentially is it, going back to questions. It is a series of questions that I ask myself at the end of the night to end my day. Um, typically, I do this about an hour before I go to bed because I like to have uh, just kind of drifting, you know, like Lamb's Happy 30 Challenge. I like to have time that doesn't involve anything else, including questions. And usually a lot of what I, what I pull out of these questions is uh, – what I end up thinking about for like that last hour before I go to sleep, um, much of which is spent in the dark in bed because it takes me a while to fall asleep. So the questions that I ask myself, and I'm going to stop at every, every question, Lam, and, and have you give your thoughts on each. Um, the first one I ask myself is, what did I learn today? I think that uh, going back to what you were saying earlier, being present and paying attention to things around us and, and stuff like that, it's important to remember that you learn something every day. And, you know, it could be ridiculous things. It could be um, life-changing things, like I learned today that I'm a selfish person. Or I learned today that uh, Thomas uh, Jefferson and, uh, oh, what's his name, John Adams hated each other with a passion. Who knows? So I like, I like to just think about the things I learned for that day. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I do something similar. Um Except I, I split the question off into to a couple of different things. Um, you know, like, if, for example, I make it a, a, a very big point to find out about a piece of artwork or something that I need to to, to consume, um, whether it's, you know, a show or a documentary, a movie, whatever it may be, a song. So one of the questions I ask myself is, um, you know, did I find something cool today? Um, so that, that, that's, that's definitely part of it for me too, as well. Um, I do ask myself if I learn something, um, but I've kind of abandoned that question just because I feel like I'm, I'm pretty rabid about consuming, um, information in the world. So I learn quite a bit every day. At least I'd like to think that I do. Um, so I've, 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 I think I've asked that question enough to make it so that I never don't have that as a priority in my life. I'm always trying to learn something. Yeah, I think for me, the reason it's important for me is uh, probably going to what you said that we so much comes we we learn so much in the day, and typically I, I keep this down to usually a, just a list of three things. I don't try to remember everything because obviously you can't, but it's important for me to acknowledge those things to remember them because sometimes I forget that I learned them. <laughs> it's, oh, it, sure, sure. And and I find that sometimes I get to this list and it's hard. 
And I actually have to start dialing through the day. Like, okay, then I did this. Then I did, oh, I learned a lesson there. And sometimes I find I pull things out where it's like, oh, I learned that when I smile at this, that this person, that they smile back. And the things that I didn't realize that I learned. So for me, uh, and it could just be the difference in the way our brains work. But for me, it's, it's, it's valuable for me to force myself to, to re-experience those things. You know, maybe it's smart. It would be smart for me to, because, you know, I, I can't make the arrogant assumption that I, I just learn a lot every day. Um, but I, I can, I can modify that question to fit my purposes, which is, um, what thing did I learn today that I didn't expect to learn? <laughs> mm, that's a good one. I like that. Uh, the next question I ask, and this is a very short one, but this I find this is important. What purchases did I make today? I find that's really important because uh, with Amazon and all this stuff I, and iTunes, you know, oh, apps and random things, if I don't pay attention to where my money goes, <laughs> I notice that it goes away. <laughs> and that's a pretty basic one. Do you do something similar, Lim? Um, to a point, um, I actually made a choice about maybe three months ago to not buy anything. Um, so I have pretty strictly stuck to, um, just utility stuff, necessity stuff. And the only luxury items I really allow myself, um, are things that will give me experiences. So like a ticket to something or, or, you know, um, something like that. So I will spend money on food. I will spend money on drink. I will spend money on experiences, but like with clothing, for example, I haven't purchased a single piece of clothing in over eight months. Um, and I feel I'm pretty damn proud of that actually. Um, and this, that actually goes way back to a conversation we had many, many months ago about minimalism. And so I've literally just not purchased a single item of clothing in, in that period of time. And, now, because I've I've trained myself so long to not do it, I I don't even miss it, and it physically irks me when I even consider having to buy a piece of clothing. I just, you know, and I know that this is probably true for most people who live in the United States and who are doing reasonably well. Even for those who don't, I, I have friends who who aren't doing financially well who have a ton of clothes. Um, you you have so much more than you you need and you don't realize that until you make the concerted effort to not get any more <laughs> yeah i find it's important to do exactly that to keep me in check because i haven't actually I, I i don't even remember the last time i bought clothes uh any clothes that have come into my life in the last year were gifts uh the only thing that i can think is i finally bought a pair of new shoes which if any of you listen to my short-lived solo podcast, um, I talked about my my need to keep shoes until I can accept that they're actually dead. So I finally bought a new pair of shoes, and that was because I needed black Converse for this wedding. And I decided that it was a good double purchase. I needed them for the wedding, and I needed new shoes, and I like Converse. So, uh, but yeah, if, if I found that before I did that. I was probably stacking up little purchases here and there, but now when I see it in front of me, I realize what I'm consuming. And I, I, I didn't even make the subconscious connection that you made there, which is that, yes, that's because I want to be more minimal. And until I can see where my money is going, I can't really put a wrap on that. I can't keep it handled. 
because, oh, I bought this, I bought this, until I see those things confronted in front of me and I go, oh, confronted in front of me. Wow, that, that's a nice alliteration. Um, <laughs> until until I can see where these things are, you know, like I said, there's all these little invisible things that we buy. Until I can start clamping down on those, I could ne- I could never begin to be a minimalist. So that was a huge thing sure. for me to to start doing that because that that's how I got to the point that we're talking about. I was like, oh, I bought that. Damn it! Why did I buy that? That, mm-hmm. that regret. Okay, so the next question is, and this is I probably should have put this later because this is a heavy question, but this is a very important question for me, and it goes back to what I said a few minutes ago about living outside of your own needs. What did I do for other people today? What did I do that had nothing to do with me or my ego? What did I do for someone else solely for that person or people? Uh, that's an important question for me to ask every day because it keeps me like, like I, that's why I call this my nightly inventory. Um, I need to see, do I have, do I in stock? Do I have stock in other people? Cause if I don't, then am I really alive? Wow. That's a tough one. Um, that's a great one. I'm going to incorporate that into, to, to my nightly inventory as well. That's a great one. Um, I mean, my, my, my version of it was, uh, what did I do to change the world today? But I think that your version of it is more succinct, um, in that in order to change the world, you have to change people. And in order to change people, you have to consciously choose to have an effect on them. Um, wow, that's, that's a powerful one. That is a very powerful one. And I, I think that, I think that especially as I get older and older, um, I have such a strong desire to help people. Like a lot of the projects I'm taking on right now, for example, um, I almost irk at the possibility of getting credit for them. Uh, I know that sounds strange um, because in my youth, I probably would have cared about getting credit for them more than the actual thing itself. Um, but these days, I just I just want the work to be done. You know, I want the effect. I want the effect of the work to be felt. And I want the, the, the legacy of the work to stand by on its own without the, 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 the attachment to my name even. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. This is not to say that I don't, I don't have a sense of pride about being able to accomplish certain things with my work or the things I do to help people. But I just don't, I don't care. It, it feels dirty almost um, to ask for credit for things or to, to receive praise for things that I feel like I, I I do because they're the right thing to do and not because I want credit for them. So, yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I, I really like that. Yeah, I find it's imp- important to to acknowledge when you do things right. You know, like you said, the, the, per- the, reason, the reason that this question exists is to make sure that you're doing these things. And I'm sure somebody could probably interpret um, exactly – what Lamb's saying you don't want to do there, which is this isn't, you know, you guys aren't taking a nightly inventory because you're trying to uh, look at these awesome things I did for other people. It's literally, did I do something for other people? And when you pay attention to those little things, um, then you, it's just like one of the other questions we'll talk about in a little bit. When you pay attention to certain things, they grow in your life. You know, what you focus on, we've said this before, what you focus on is what you're going to get. You know, what you look for is what you will find. So if you're paying attention to the things that you do for other people, then you will find that you do more things for other people. 
And that's like Pam said, that's how you change the world. You change the world by changing, uh, by helping and caring for people around you. And if you aren't paying attention to that, then you're living in yourself. And if you're miserable, that's probably why you're miserable because we are not self-sustained creatures. Uh, the next question kind of in some way goes hand in hand with that is what can I improve? Now, this question I asked myself, I used to ask the question is, um, where did I fail today? But the, mm. this, the slant of that question really changed the answer, and I didn't like the answers that I was getting because everything was negative. But what can I improve? Now, this can be something very simple as looking and seeing that I didn't do anything for anybody today and going, well, I can, <laughs> I can pay attention to other people's needs. But it can also be something simple as looking at, wow, when I when I take these files, it takes forever for me to convert these JPEGs into PDFs. And I have to do this every Wednesday. How can I automate that? You know, is there, is there something that I can drop these files into a folder and it will automatically convert all JPEGs that I drop into that folder into PDFs, you know, looking for little ways to improve your life in every way, whether it's personal or whether it is just flow, you know, fixing the mechanics of your life as well. Uh, what can I improve? Oh, I always forget to get gas before the week, be my work week begins. Oh, well, I can, I can improve that by setting myself a reminder the day before that goes off at a specific time and getting off my butt and going to the gas station. Lamb, do you do anything like that? Yeah, I, I definitely do something like that. Um, but for me, it's, it's about, the question's a little different um, because I, I think I've modified. Okay, let me let me start let me start from the beginning here. Um, <laughs> a couple of a couple of months ago, I realized that there were a couple of things that were making it very difficult for me to do all of the things that I wanted to do throughout the course of the day, and they, it all came down to efficiency. Um, it all came down to what you're talking about, which is, you know, I'd have panic moments where I would need to do something in the moment because I'm reacting to not having done it or not having prepared for it properly in order to to to, to get it out of the way to leave myself the room and the energy and the time to do the things that I really wanted to do. So. The question for me, it's not a nightly question, but it's a weekly question, is um, what can I do to free up more time and energy? And that is something that I constantly keep stock of, you know, from, from little things like how I cook food and how I eat um, to things like where I park my car and when uh, for work, um, you know, what time I make phone calls, what kind of, I mean, there's, there's such a myriad of things that goes into that, that you'd be, you'd be shocked at how much automating certain parts of your life really has a dramatic effect on how much time and energy that you have to do other things. The less you have to think about a repetitive task, the more effective you are at all of the things that you do want to do. For example, why, why should you have to think about something like getting gas or making food? I mean, those are parts of your daily life. It's not a, a reinventing of anything. It's just doing something to get it done. So it only stands to reason that you find the most efficient way to do it so that you can do something with the extra time and the energy that you have. And even though you're only saving two minutes here or five minutes there or 30 seconds there, at the end of your night, when you sum up all of the amount of time that you're doing you, you spend doing these other things, you've probably freed up an hour and a half of your life. Um, 
And it's weird to think of it that way, but in doing what I've done over the last couple of months, it's very clear how much time I waste on inefficiency. And I think that that's a fantastic lesson for me and, and a great lesson to, to for everyone else out there too, is to think about your tasks. I mean, think about the things that you do every day or every week and try to cut down the amount of time and energy you spend doing them as much as possible so you can go and do, uh, you know, taste tests with chips and, and you know, write in your journal and, and do something creative or take a picture or appreciate a day for what it is. I mean, all of these things are enriching um, in, in in ways that you can't quantify until you've actually done them. And in a, over a long enough period of time, if you start doing these things, you, you, you know, you cut these inefficiencies out of your life, it opens up your brain to being able to, to help people more, to, to, to see the, the plights of the world and to, to appreciate your friends and to appreciate the people you care about. And you will be so much less miserable. You'll be way, I, I can't say that you'll be happy because that's, that's purely up to you and what your definition of happiness is. But what you will be is more at ease. You'll be less stressed. You'll have less anxiety. Um, and I think that's where all of this came from for me was a quest to remove as much anxiety from my life as possible. And another aspect of the question that I totally forgot about too is what you're going to realize um when you if you were to ask yourself this question too is sometimes it is about those failures that i talked about you know like i I lost my temper with this person so what can i do to improve that and what's really really at the core of all of these questions or maybe any question in life is to really dig deep enough Um, and sometimes that, that means that an answer requires another question so uh, I lost my temper with this person. That's something I want to improve. So I have to ask myself why I lost my temper with that person. And uh, what I find really useful is to ask yourself questions at least three deep. Um, and what, by, what I mean by that, for example, I need a new phone. I don't, but I'm just throwing that out as a, a subjective thing. This is something that somebody might be thinking. Next question you need to ask yourself, or the first question you need to ask yourself is, why do I need another phone? And so maybe your answer is because uh, this one is old. Okay, so why why is it important to get something new when this is old? And the answer to that might be, well, because it's, it's slow and it can't do everything that I need it to do. And okay, so the next question is, what do you need it to do? So you just keep digging, and what you what you end up you say, well, I needed to do this, I needed to do this, and I needed to do this. Okay, now is this a eight hundred dollar phone over here any more capable of doing it than this one over here? You're going to find these different dilemmas, and obviously, uh, you, most of the time we we all buy the same price level of phone, so that's probably not the best example of price level differences, but. For example, somebody might say, I need a new phone. And then the question is, why do I need a new phone? And say, because it, it, it saves me time. Ooh, really? So then the next question is, why do you need to save more time? And then the answer to that one is real magic, because the real magic would be because I use my time inefficiently. So your problem isn't your phone. Your problem is how you manage your time. So very interesting dynamic change right there when you go deep with questions because you might find out that your problems aren't what you think your problems are. 
Um, that's almost the, al- that's almost always the case, by the way. <laughs> oh yes, almost always. Why did I lose my temper with this person? You're going to start out that question thinking that it's their problem, that you know it's their fault, and what you're going to find out most time is is it your problem? It's your fault. Um, next question, which arguably is the most important question on this list, the only other question uh, that competes with it is what did I do for others today? And this is, what am I grateful for today? We've, uh, our, our favorite phrase recently I've noticed on this podcast is saying, we've talked about this before, but this is something that we have (laughs) hammered into you guys, hopefully to the point where you guys get it, that gratitude is the most important thing that you can bring into your life. If you want to make your life better. And so I, I'm, I force myself to think of at least three things, and I make sure that every day that they are three different things than I thought of the day before. And today it's like, I, last night it would definitely be, I am grateful to be back in my own bed. That was one of them. Now today, when I, when I do this, I'm not going to talk about my bed today. I'm going to find three different things. And I, I'm sure you do gratitude every day as well, Lamb. Oh, absolutely. That's something that uh, you, you introduced into my life a long time ago and I've I've every night it, it, it's it's weird because I've broken it down beyond that too what am I grateful for it's it, I have the what am I grateful for is definitely a part of it but I have the who am I grateful for too as well um, and that's a separate question altogether and I started out um, you know naming a bunch of people in my life that I was grateful for and I changed that so that it's now what one person today am I grateful for and why? Um, and thinking about my relationship with that person and why, why it's benefited my life. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's my modification on it. And I find that that one makes me much more present with the people I really care about. You know, it makes you, makes you really interested in their lives and it makes you more conscious about the effect that you have on them even. That's an important distinction. And I want to remind you guys, that's why for me, this is a nightly inventory. These, these inventories are a focus on the day that I just had. Um, now, it's not, I'm not saying it's not important to be grateful for things in the larger part of your life, but focus on what, uh, try to focus on what happened the day that just ended, you know, that's coming to an end when you're doing this. And because it is important to acknowledge those things. It's nice to say, well, I'm really grateful for having a family that loves me. Right. We know that. Everybody is. But you're not really focusing on gratitude. Gratitude, the power of gratitude lies in specifics. And what I mean by that is, you know, saying, oh, I'm grateful for my family. That's not very specific. How about I'm grateful for the generosity of my mother? Now, that's very specific. And the reason that it's important to, sp- to focus on those specifics is because you – the purpose of this gratitude is not just to acknowledge it, but to feel it, to experience it. Because when you re-experience it, you're, you're, you're teaching these things um, in, in yourself to grow. You're teaching this feeling of gratitude to grow because when you live in a sense of gratitude, you're a happier person because it takes you outside of yourself. When you live too much inside yourself, as was mentioned a few minutes ago, you're miserable. Because that's when you start becoming a hypochondriac, uh, start getting anxiety, all of these things. Um, become suicidal, it's focusing on yourself too much. 
it, it's all of, it's all internal. So this is teaching you to look external and to let that blossom. So be specific. You know, what today? What am I grateful for today? You know, I could say I'm grateful for this podcast today. That's not very specific because Lamb and I do this every Wednesday. I'm grateful that Lamb and I got to talk about gratitude on the podcast today and share that with the world. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's specific, you know, or I'm grateful that when I asked this question, Lamb, Lamb took it in this direction um, that I hadn't even thought of because I learned something um, when I thought I was sharing something. I ended up learning something. These are very sure. important things. And the purpose of all of this inventory is just to do exactly what Lamb said. This is all about keeping you present. Uh, you couldn't you couldn't run a business if you didn't know your inventory, right? Or you couldn't run a successful business if you didn't know know your inventory. <laughs> I was going to say no. I know plenty of people who run unsuccessful businesses that way. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the purpose of this. You know, you keep yourself. You, you want to know where things are. You want to, and this is how you can grow and change things and improve things. And this is all related to creativity as well, because as we have harped on many, many times. The happier you are as a human being, the more caring and generous you are as a human being, the better your art becomes because your art is not um, egotistical and it's not focused in in your own self, which is something that other people would have trouble experiencing. You, you're able to create things that the world can um, also share. Okay, and the next question is, and this uh, we we have made mention of this before as well, and maybe you'll understand why we mention these things before because I think of these things every night, and uh, Lamb does as well. And uh, the question here is, what goals have I made progress on? Happiness in life comes from making progress, guys. It doesn't come from accomplishment. It it comes from the feeling of making progress, from moving forward. Like Lamb has been kind enough to tell you guys multiple times, small goals, set small goals, you know, progress. You know, if you're doing a bigger project, make smaller achievable goals so that you can feel that progress that you're moving forward. So when you set that, what's also predicated in this question that it maybe isn't clear right away is that you know what your goals are. So if you're going to do this sure. as an, a nightly inventory question, you need to have a list of your life goals. And there could be short-term life goals, long-term life goals, medium-term life goals, but have a list of those things. I have in, in my Apple Notes, I have a list of my life goals, and some of them are, are you would probably laugh at because they're so large and audacious, but they're there because I feel them, and I need to know if I'm moving forward on those. And every day I look at what I've, what I've done, and did I move forward on any of them? You know, whether it is just finishing this novel, that's a, that's a medium-term goal. Did I do any work on that novel today? I did. Good. There's progress on that. I want this podcast to be uh, enormous, that people are all listening to this podcast and becoming creative human beings and changing the world. Did I make progress on that today? Well, I did record an episode, so yes, that's progress on that. Acknowledge those goals, but have those goals first. Yeah, I mean, that's so critical. I mean, otherwise, all of these questions, all of these inventory things that we're talking about really have no long-term effect. You're just kind of wandering in the wind. Because um, I think, especially for, for where you and I are now, the, the questions are crafted to fit those goals. 
you know, how much closer, they're almost like milestones or, or check-ins with ourselves to make sure that we're still headed in the right direction. At least that is, that's the way it feels for me. Right. How can you navigate without having an idea where you're going? Of course. You know, you don't, when we, we use the Maps app, we don't just open the Maps app and go, I wonder where I'll end up. We put it at destination <laughs> and then we hit the route button. <laughs> if you don't have a destination, yeah. the route means nothing. Okay, and the last question that I asked myself, and this is a small one, but it is in in chronological terms, the last thing that I ask myself everything every day is, what do I need to know for tomorrow? It's very simple. It's just what's going on tomorrow. I need to look at my calendar. I need to look at my tasks. I need to see if tomorrow's somebody's birthday. All of these things. What do I need to know? And it could be, it could go in different directions other than just that, that type of stuff. But prepare yourself mentally in some way for the day that's about to come. Uh, then your morning won't feel, you know, you can wake up in the morning. Instead of having to grab your phone right away, you can just kind of experience your morning. Because you, you kind yeah. of already know. It's funny that you say that because I, I also added that secondary part too as well. What's the first thing I need to do every morning? <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's, that's a pretty critical one for me because it, otherwise I start out, the reason I added it was because for a period of time I wasn't doing that and I felt like I was waking up every morning slightly panicked and that was not a good way to start. Exactly. Anxiety begins, you know, whatever emotion you have at the very beginning of your day, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not to say that you can't shake it, but it's so much harder to shake it if you start out on the wrong foot. Exactly. And it's, I mean, and, and to be honest, for some reason, I mean, we're very susceptible in the morning. We're just woke up. We're very vulnerable and we're in a vulnerable state of mind. So, it, you know, the wrong email or something can just veer us in the wrong direction. So if you can mitigate a lot of that to the night before when you're at a, at a different state, you're in a more relaxed state, hopefully, or you're about to have a relaxing time after you do this inventory because you know you're prepped for everything that you've cleared out the day and prepped for the next day then when you wake up in the morning you're in a different mindset you you know that stuff is, is floating around subconsciously but maybe now you can go in the shower and just remember what it feels like for the water to touch your body instead of going okay i need to send this email i need to do that you already kind of know that stuff so that that's an important sure. thing the way you experience your day it, because like i said you know, these are these are things we're going to ask each other at the end, or each other. We're going to ask ourselves at the end of the day. So, how you experience the next day is going to affect how you answer the next day's questions. So, the tomorrow and today are connected in in that sense. So, it's important to clear out the day that you're in and to prepare yourself for the next one. And it could be something. And that's how you don't do stupid things like, I forgot my wallet. You know, you make sure you go, what do I need to know for tomorrow? I need my wallet. Okay, well, let me put that somewhere where I will not miss it. Maybe I'll put it in the pants that I'm already going to wear tomorrow and put those pants on the chair. Yep, I literally do that. <laughs> okay, well, we've gone a little bit long, but I think that uh, this has been a pretty, pretty valuable episode. There's um, some... I, I, first of all, actually, before I go any further, thank you to Mateo and thank you to Allison for asking questions and asking very, very good questions. Mateo, once again, if you are asking about fiction, let me know and we will talk about that in a different episode. 
But if you guys feed us questions and uh, questions like this, uh, particularly awesome questions, but even small questions, um, hey, what app is this, whatever, hey, we'll answer them because, you know, it's fun. And we get to go in different directions because now you guys are participating. And it's not just about Lamb and I steering the boat. You know, you guys are on the ship too. So keep those questions coming. Lamb, do you have um, closing closing words you would like to share with the audience? <laughs> would you like um, to sing I'm, us a song? <laughs> I'm, just I'm not going to sing a song today, although I may do that at some point in the future. Um, I mean, I guess throughout this entire podcast, the or the, the the entire episode, what we've we've been continually going back to is the need to to be present in our lives with not just the tasks we're doing, but you know, just the the world in general. You know, appreciate the small things and the big things and the all things that are around you and and the people that are around you and and what you can do to make their lives better. Um, and the the best way to do that is to to cut out these devices from your life from time to time or for periods of time in order to make sure that you can, you know, smell the proverbial roses. So I guess if there's any words of wisdom I can, I can impart on, on all of you out there, it's to turn off and tune in. Oh!